It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Well, after several weeks getting into the Gospel of Mark, this is Friday, and so Bert and I on Exploring the Word, if you're a regular listener, you know that on Fridays we take questions, and so here's the number for your Bible question. It's 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. We would love to have your Bible question, and we'll do as much as we can to... uh, respond to calls and questions in this Friday edition of Exploring the Word. Uh, But, Bert, may I open up with a brief announcement? Yes, what is this announcement? I'm ready. (laughs) Well, tomorrow and Sunday, I'm going to be in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Now, we are so blessed. We have listeners in, like, Dillon and Wilmington and Myrtle Beach and Charleston, Mullins, South Carolina, I know they're all listening, Rockingham, North Carolina, which is down there on this state line, but Thomas Memorial Baptist Church, I just a little while ago talked with Pastor Josh Hilton, and this is 308 West Main Street, Bennettsville, South Carolina. Here's what I'm going to do tomorrow beginning, and this is from 10 to about 4.45, I'm going to speak four times tomorrow on Biblical Worldview, A Christian Response to Transgenderism. Uh, I'm going to do a seminar called Raising Godly Kids in a No-Rules Culture, and we're going to do open Q&A. Now, that's tomorrow, Thomas Memorial Baptist in Bennettsville, South Carolina, and it's free, no admission charge. It's just open to the public, four seminars plus a lunch. Then I'll be preaching three times on Sunday, and Bert, I just thought I would announce that (laughs) because uh, all of our friends there in South Carolina— and uh, along the North Carolina border, too, and down to the coast, come on out, and let's have a, a good Saturday and Sunday. We'll get into the Word, we'll pray, we'll get equipped to stand strong for the gospel in this season of our life. Well, Alex, I, I majored in math the first two years of my college career, so if I added right four times Saturday, three times Sunday, seven times, what are you going to do in your spare time? Uh, probably take a nap. Yeah, I bet. But, hey, brother, yeah, we'll be praying yeah. for you. That's that's a lot of speaking. It is. Well, it, it is. And but but you know, there's a lot, Bert. You and I talk about biblical worldview. And just one week ago, the Barna Research Group, George Barna, B A R N A, very respected. And Bert, am I right to say George Barna is probably one of the most quoted, most trusted people? that's in Christian academics. In today's, yes. For today, yeah. I would say so. And uh, he he really validates what he what he gives you. And, he does. and that is so important to be able to validate what you say. So, Alex, you are extremely yeah. right. Well, man, so I will be is, praying for you. Well, thanks. And I'll say this, we'll go to cause. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And this is why I'm in a church somewhere essentially every weekend, and we're doing our big event in Paris, Tennessee. Barna, one week ago, released the most recent study about the state of biblical literacy in the American church. And we've got to get back to the Word of God. Amen. And that's why, yes, we're tomorrow in Bennettsville, four sessions, three on Sunday, because uh, the revival that we need, the the move of God that would save our nation— it's got to include a return to our knowledge of and acknowledgement of the Bible. Amen, brother. I was talking to someone this week here at our headquarters, and they work with the youth, and they were talking about getting some way into these youth and even the children, the knowledge of the Bible, the knowledge of who was Abraham, who is Joseph, and uh, said, and the truth of it, you when you know these people, know what they did, how they came to that decision, it will equip you. The knowledge of the Scriptures do help you to have a biblical worldview. And Amen. so you who are teaching, teach the Bible, teach the Word. And listen, uh, I, I, it's so important. Well, Alex, uh, we are, by the way, 
Uh, I was on Trivia Friday uh, oh, today. Really? This, yeah, today? this morning. And we had a caller from Paris, Tennessee, and uh, they were excited about us being up there in April. I just wanted to pass that along. Word amen. word has gotten out, so we, we just thank God for that. So well, uh, let's go to the phone lines and first go to Alabama and talk to Stephen. Stephen, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, thank you. Uh, I appreciate your show and, and uh, listen to it as much as possible. And uh, my question is, in studying the Old Testament, uh, there's a couple of places I get a little confused in, in trying to understand where was the original split that resulted in the tensions that exist today between uh, Israel and the, uh, the the Middle East. And uh, okay. God bless you for what you do, and I'm going to uh, listen to your answer. Thank you. Okay, mm. Stephen, it came pretty early in Abraham and yeah. uh, with <laughs> Genesis 16. It, it you really say? did. It did, didn't it, Alex? Do you know what, uh, brother, you, you ask a great question because I, I don't think you can adequately understand the world today. And, and really, Middle Eastern policy for the last 100 years, you can't understand it unless you have these two realities uh, in your mind. And it's two words, Isaac and Ishmael. Mm. Bert, in, in, in many a way, I mean, world history, the dividing line has been the children of Ishmael and the children of Isaac in, in many a way, hasn't it? It has two dividing things. The first one in the Old Testament, that's it. In, in my thinking, I believe it is. In the New Testament, I really do believe that dividing line, and it wasn't like that a choice, but it did happen, is when... Paul was called over into Macedonia. He came mm, yes. and crossed over into Europe, and from there, uh, we're talking about the explosion of the gospel going over, and everybody talked Western civilization. Well, listen, Western civilization was changed by that and the Reformation as it would go forth, and it would uh, do that. Western civilization has nothing to do with white Europeans. It has to do with a biblical worldview that was started there in the first missionary journey, then the Reformation, Alex. And uh, when Amen. you look at those things, you see them. They're pretty clear, in my opinion now, brother. Amen. Bert, brilliant. Brother, I, I cannot overstate how brilliant that observation is. You're right, because Paul had that vision of the man of Macedonia, and that's always been very special to me because it was through a Macedonia Baptist church that I got saved at age 21. But you're right, and ultimately Paul's uh, getting of, of the Macedonian call did bring ultimately would bring the gospel to Europe. And, of course, everybody knows or everybody I'm sure mostly knows, honestly, for the last thousand years, yeah. uh, from really British common law in 1132 up through the Reformation with Martin Luther in 1517, and then really with the Wesleys, the Wesley Revival, and um, I'm sure you remember Hudson Taylor oh, man. and the <laughs> yeah. great mission endeavors yeah. yes. that emanated out of England. I mean, this this shaped the entire world, didn't it, Bert? If you if you can if you get a worldview and you read those that you were talking about, those movements and those decisions and those individuals, it will equip you to see what has happened and why America has been so strong in the past. Yes, we had warts. I, I haven't met anybody that hasn't had some blind spots and some deficiencies. There was deficiencies. Right. But the good thing about it, they our founding fathers set it up so those deficiencies could be corrected. And uh, so, anyway, we, we uh, love that. Thank you for that good call, Stephen. Let's go to Texas and talk to Luke. Welcome, Luke. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, good afternoon, and thank you very much for taking my phone call. Uh, appreciate uh, y'all and all of AFR. Sir, I, I heard something uh, Wednesday night. I've never heard this in my life. And, you know, like I, I'm over 50 and started, uh, my mom got us started going to uh, the church uh, on a church bus. But the other night, a speaker talking about choices people make was teaching on Ruth. And she said that Goliath, because Orpah chose to stay in her, her, her country, and she told us that uh, Goliath 
was actually one of Orpher's sons. Uh, so the the giant who fought David mm-hmm. was uh, one of Orpher's sons. I, I've never heard that, so I'm asking, do y'all know anything uh, about that? Alex? That, it, we had this question, I'm going to say about two years ago. Now, uh, you know, uh, Goliath of Gath, he was a Philistine, wasn't he, Bert? He was. And... See, some people, there's been a lot of speculation about Goliath, and he was eight feet, six inches tall, if you, you know, calculate from the cubits to our inches, huge. They wonder if he was a Nephilim. Was he one of these hybrid, half-human, half-demonic beings, like from possibly Genesis 6? Um, Bert, what I have heard on the question of was Goliath a descendant of Orpah, that that is speculation yeah. that we—I've not seen compelling evidence for it yet, but um, I I would have to probably land on he's just a, a, a unsaved pagan Philistine, the origin of which we really don't completely know. That's right. And, and listen, there's a sermon about talking about Gath— uh, there's a message uh, from the book of Joshua. It says they they got the enemy out except Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. They remained. Uh, they didn't clean the enemy out. And guess what would happen? And this is good preaching or teaching for those that are looking. Gath produced Goliath. Mm-hmm. Ashdod is where they took the uh, the Ark of the Covenant when it was taken in battle. They took it to Ashdod. And then Gaza, guess who? Delilah. And and that, mm. those again, that's geography and the chronological thing that I just enjoy following through in all the Bible. Uh, so Gath, listen, uh, Goliath came out of a place that they should have taken care of years ago, and that's what happens when we don't take care of sin in our life through the obedience to the Lord. It will come back to bite us. Hey, listen, Alex, we really don't have time to go to the next caller in this segment, so we'll just wait. But again, tell folks about where you're going to be in South Carolina so those folks that got on a little late might know about this. Wow, thanks. Well, I'll be with Pastor Josh Hilton at Thomas Memorial Baptist Main Street in Bennettsville, South Carolina, tomorrow from 10 a.m., to 4.45. We're going to do biblical worldview. We're going to do open Q&A. We'll eat together 10 to 4 and then three times on Sunday. And the website is thomasmemorialbc.org. That's thomasmemorialbc, as in baptistchurch.org. Not too far from Rockingham, Dillon, the coast. See you in South Carolina tomorrow. Stay tuned. More of Fireway Friday on today's edition of Exploring the Word after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Jill Ruby, Undersecretary of Energy for Nuclear Security. Her office is responsible for designing, producing, and maintaining safe, secure, and reliable nuclear weapons for the U.S. military. 2 Timothy 4.18 reminds us of God's safety and protection. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Jill Ruby as she oversees nuclear weapons for our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says the best way to be prepared for what's ahead of us is to pay more attention to what's beneath us. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Now, many of us have gone house hunting in the past or If you've never owned a home, I'm sure that you look forward to the day when you will go house hunting to buy your own home. I can pretty much guarantee that when you thumb through the newspaper, you will not look for homes for sales that are advertising their foundations. That is a concern, but that's not usually the first thing you look at. You want to know the shape and the size and the square footage and and all of the, the visible details. Because external is what we look at first. External is what we get impressed with first. External is what we relate to first. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, there is no other foundation that has been laid except Jesus Christ. He says that he is the wise master builder, having laid out the truth of God for God's people. And he says that we are to build our lives based on that truth on the foundation of Christ. But the test of your character, the test of what you're really made of shows up when it rains and when there is wind blowing against your life. That is the test of what your house has been mounted on or to put it another way, what your life has been built on. Because when the rain of life comes, what will keep your life standing tall is the foundation. Learn how to build your life on a bedrock of full-out commitment to Jesus. Check out Tony's CD series, Pursuing Christ, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong. So the helpless has hope and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old Amen. Fire. Welcome to Exploring the Word, Bert Harper. That verse that you heard was one of our team. Uh, he's not here all the time, but he's here. He shipped, slips in some. Marty Sparks. I, it's just, I love that voice he has. And he's the one that does the camera. So if you're watching at streaming.com, afa.net uh marty's behind the camera he tries to make me look as good as he can and that's a hard job but he tries real hard we appreciate that so much i I brought that up just because i want to share with you we are blessed to have a group of people that we work together here on exploring the word and they make mine and alex's job so much easier and we thank god for it don't we alex we surely do just dedicated people and not only gifted and dedicated people, but people that love the Lord, and they're just a joy to work with. I was on the phone earlier today with Brent Austin and Brent Creeley, and I was thinking, man, I am so blessed to work with godly, gifted folks like that, and you, Bert, that are just a joy to serve with. It is, and Robert answers the phone, and he gives us good information, and uh, he sometimes he prays with those folks because they know not, they're not getting through. So we do appreciate that. With that all in mind, we appreciate you, Colin. And Jeff from Ohio. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, my question today is um, when Jesus went up on the mountain to be tempted by Satan, I'd like to know the differences between those. And I think there were three of them. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you for your ministry so much. Okay. Bless thank you. you. Alex, uh, matter of fact, we do some pre-records, and we did some uh, pre-recording on that recently, haven't we? Well, we, we really did, and, uh, you know, we did that in Mark— uh, I'm sorry, was it Matthew chapter 4? But I'm going to be very brief. Satan had an accusation, he had a challenge, he had an offering, and then there was an overcoming. And And let me just say this. First of all, uh, these temptations, it's worth pointing out that Jesus overcame them with the power of the Word of God. Okay, first there was this accusation, if you are the Son of God, make these stones turn into bread. And Jesus, of course, responded, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Then there was a challenge. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down uh, from the roof of the temple, because the Bible says God will give his angels charge over you. And, of course, Jesus responded, don't put God to the test. Then there was this offering. They're on this high mountain. Satan appears, gestures out to the landscape of the far reaches of the world, says, look, all this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And, of course, Jesus says, away from me, for Satan, for it is written, you shall only worship the Lord your God. Then Matthew 4.11, the devil left him and angels attended to him. So, Bert, the, uh, the four aspects or nuances of the wilderness temptation, I, I would say the accusations, the challenges, the offering of Satan, but then the overcoming of Satan. And do you know that very same overcoming that our Lord had victory with? Uh, we can overcome 
Satan in the same way, can't we? We can. Let me give you another uh, thought on that. This happened right when Jesus was starting his public ministry. So this is Satan tempting him to start out wrong. Just keep that in mind. Would it, and I'm just using my words. Would it be a show business, jumping off of the pinnacle and getting a crowd? Would it be bread business, of feeding everyone and so, you know, feed them and keep them happy? Or would it be political business, bow down to someone else and compromise? So Jesus said, no, no, no. I came to do the will of my Father. And he did that by doing exactly what Alex said, going to the Word of God and using the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God. And so uh, you don't. the church is not in show business. We're not in bread business. We're not in political business. We are in the gospel business. That's our priority. Do, do we do the other? Yes, man, we get involved in, in what's right in society. That'd be political. Yes, we do try to feed the poor and help those. Yes, that's important. And then we do want to make things understandable. It's not show business, but we present it in such a way that hopefully people will get it and remember it. But that's not our goal. So anyway, we hope that helps so much. By the way, we have lines open, and that number is 888 and let's go to Washington, D.C., and talk to Grace. Welcome, Grace. God God bless you. Thank you for taking my call. I am so excited. I just thank God for you. I was just talking about Venezuela, South Carolina last night. That's my. That's where I grew up in that area, Dylan. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'd love to. Do you still have family down there? Uh, yes, sir. That's where my father and all his people are from. And uh, and then just a few days ago, I was looking at Greek and Hebrew, studying two scriptures, and today I can ask you about them. So uh, Matthew seventeen twenty one, when um, Jesus says, "How be it that this kind goes out, but by prayer and fasting," and then Mark nine twenty nine, which says basically the same, and he said unto them, "This kind goes out by nothing but prayer and fasting." So my dilemma is, I have been told years ago that that is not in the original manuscript. So therefore, I was trying to research the original, you know, Greek and everything, and that Jesus didn't say it. And many Bibles do not put prayer and fasting. Some Bibles put only prayer. So I'm just hoping you could help me out with this. And then how long of a fast would you do? Because last Friday, I was literally doing deliverance and casting out demons, and and yes, one stubborn demon. I'm like, God, I couldn't have fasted in advance because I didn't know I was encountering the person. So I'll just um, let you try to shed light. Thank you. Okay. Those of you that possibly have a reference Bible, it could be the Open Bible, Life Application Bible, there'll be a footnote, and it says that it necessarily it does not necessarily have prayer and fasting in all of the documents that we have that are copies of the original, Alex. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm just looking this up too because uh, the Matthew, I'm I'm sorry, the Mark nine twenty six through twenty nine. I mean, I've leaned on that a lot in ministering to people. And let me say this: um, it wouldn't be in there if it weren't in at least some manuscripts. Now there are a couple of um, approaches to having um, the verses in. And I'll tell you another passage that is sometimes people wonder about are the last few verses of the Gospel of Mark, you know, Bert. Now, I'm I'm kind of a completist. I believe if, if a verse is in any of the manuscripts that uh, I, I think they ought to leave it in. But let me just say this, that here are, there are some 26,000 New Testament manuscripts that that are have been discovered, but then there are more than a half million. Now listen carefully, because this is going to get deep a little bit. How do we have the New Testament that we have? Well, there are portions and fragments, and the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, was completed around 95 to 96 A.D., Complete New Testaments that are just like you and I have begin to emerge around 25 A.D. So we're talking uh, 30, 
125 A.D., so 30 years after John wrote Revelation. That's not very long, really, when you think about how they had to copy and recopy. Now, there are what are called portions and fragments, and then there are complete New Testaments. And there are, Bert, and I I had um, one of the founders of the American Society of Paparologists, Dr. Brent Sandy, a great scholar. I had another man named Dr. Paul Fink, and then um, another man that was on the translation committee for the New King James uh, Version, Dr. Richard Patterson. These were just stratospherically respected men of God, And, and they taught us that any of the verses that are in question, you could count on less than 10 fingers. Now, let me say this. Of the thousands of manuscripts floating around, um, there, there are some that contain the words like uh, Matthew 9.29, prayer and fasting. And then some just say prayer, right? Uh, but Bert, I think if it's any of the, in any of the manuscripts, it's, we're in the right to assume it was in the original. Because why, why would there be some manuscripts where it's not in there? Well, maybe, maybe as some faithful Christian in the first century was copying, uh, maybe a Roman soldier burst in and interrupted their copying. Maybe it was in there and part of the, the little plant fiber they wrote on broke off. Uh, the other thing I would say, and this is very important, even if we didn't have the 26,000-plus New Testament copies floating around, if we had none of those, we could reconstruct every verse of the New Testament based on early church correspondence. Now, that comes from a man named Dr. Dan Wallace, and even many atheists acknowledge that Dan Wallace is probably the greatest living New Testament scholar in the world, and he's a conservative. So what am I saying? You can trust your Bible. You really can. You can trust it. Um, If you want to drill down deeply, there's a book I would recommend. I believe it was published by InterVarsity by Craig Blomberg, B-L-O-M-B-E-R-G, Craig Blomberg, and he's a conservative, but it's uh, Can You Trust the New Testament? Uh, Well, the title is this, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? And Bert, I believe they are. I know that's uh, uh, more of a lengthy answer than we usually get down into, it, but it relates to what we call the preservation of the manuscripts. It really is, but it deserved that kind of answer because it's a very important issue. And like you said, very few, 10, uh, you know, that's close, right, that I remember going through. I didn't study them as hard as you have. But let me say this, when you read 21 here of Matthew uh, 17, you come away uh, doing Celebrate Recovery at church. I've used this illustration before. I saw those men and women, they were saved and they were delivered immediately. I mean, I'm talking about God's did the work. The desire for alcohol, drugs was gone. But I had some also, they got saved, they turned away. But yet there was that gnawing, and it, they had to fast and pray to overcome those. So practically, just let me say, practically I understand what that is coming from. You catch uh, the and, – yeah, and exactly. so, so anyway, thank you so much for that good call, Grace. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to Holly. Holly, welcome. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I've thought about this for ever since uh, Advent. In the book of Matthew, it starts out with Joseph's genealogy. And um, after they came back from Babylon, there was, no, uh, there was no king in Israel. But they list a long list of men. I was wondering if uh, they had continued with kings, would Joseph, have been a king. Uh-huh. Alex, wow. have you thought of that? <laughs> Ma'am, that is a great question. It is. I've I, never thought of that. Yeah, I would have to dig down more thoroughly, compare the genealogy to 
to, you know, those that came out of that. But Alex, go ahead, man. Wow. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Jesus Christ are 14 generations. So would Joseph have been in that kingly line? Uh, wow, I've never thought of that, and so... I don't know, but you're, you're right. After the Babylonian captivity, they did sort of, Bert, would it be fair to say, they came back to their land, they limped back to their, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, kind of good. straggled back. And the um, and let me just say, the kingly lineages were done away with because the true king of Israel would be born of the Virgin Mary, King Jesus. But that's a good question, isn't it? It is. And, and Holly, thank you for thinking through this. And that that is wonderful. Let me just say this. Either one of those would fit God's, how he connects the kings to king, but also taking the least of these, just like he did uh, with with, uh, Jacob. He was the second born. But guess what? Uh, That still, uh, God lifted him up. And, And so, I, God, God's an amazing God, and so you can depend upon him. Holly, thank you for that great question. Let's go to Texas and talk to Karen. Karen, welcome. Hey, hello, my beloved professors. I, I love you all so much. Um, I, I know you've got a lot of calls. Um, this is just really just amazing to me. Bert, you were on Trivia Friday today. But I have a question about, I know you went through the uh, chronological Bible or the how you would read it. I have been in a search for a chronological Bible, um, and I just wanted y'all's opinion. I've been trying to call in, but I uh, just haven't been able to get through lately. Um there was AFR uh, interviewed a couple, and I think it was actually in the stand also that that have written a chronological Bible. And I wanted uh, your ideas, Bert. I appreciate you giving the 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 way to read it chronologically. But there are chronological Bibles, and I know there's answers in Genesis. I think Ken Ham has one. I just wanted to know what you guys would use and my one concern with the couple that i i read about in the stand was their translation so okay i'm well, just curious about it thank you karen we we cut you off. alex go ahead uh I'll, I'll get later you got one recommendation well, for karen the the new king james chronological study bible and i'm virtually positive it's uh published by thomas nelson but it's the new king james chronological study bible it's not only in the right chronological order it's got all the study notes too i recommend that i would as well yeah yeah stay tuned we're back after this folks hello i'm sam Rohr, president of the american pastors network a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of scripture and preaching the whole counsel of god we believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for christ is our duty for too long the pulpits of america have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty join us in the battle for truth on stand in the gap weekend sunday evenings at 6 p.m on american family radio and visit us at americanpastorsnetwork.org this is Jan Mark Hill. Next on Understanding the Times Radio, I talked to Dr. Ron Rhodes about the believer's ultimate destination, heaven. Are you looking forward to our heavenly home? Why are so many today clinging to this very broken world? That's next on Understanding the Times Radio. Saturday afternoon at 1 Central and Sunday afternoon at noon Central on American Family Radio. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. 
I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you called Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. <laughs> If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. You shall not murder. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jane Fonda made an appearance on that beacon of intellectual rigor, The View. During her appearance, Fonda decried the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Joy Behar then asked Fonda, besides marching and protesting, what else can be done to fight back against Rose reversal? Fonda said, well, murder. Initially, it seemed her response went somewhat unnoticed by the panel, but when asked to repeat her answer, Fonda simply said, murder. It's unsurprising that people who want to fight for the right to kill people inside the womb see killing people outside of the womb as an appropriate solution to advance their political cause. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We are back on Exploring the Word. Listeners, you all deserve an A-plus today. These are some really, really great questions. And the number, if you have a Bible question, it's 888-589-8840. We're just going to keep on going. Bert, uh, where shall we go now? Let's go to Ohio and talk to Sharon. Welcome, Sharon. Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. And I have a question that actually embarrasses me. But I was talking to someone recently and we were having a, a slight disagreement, I believe, in a pre-trib rapture. And the other person didn't feel like there was anything of a rapture, that we'd be here for all of it. And, well, I told him, I said, well, I guess we could agree. You'd probably hope I'm right. But you know what? I just went blank in the moment. And I could not bring to mind the appropriate verses to share with this person. And and I'm being lazy. I'm asking y'all, what would be a good way to approach this in the future? Okay. I, I believe Revelation 3, the latter part of that, because they talk to the seven churches, and after the uh, the seventh church, the word church is not mentioned, the rest of the book of Revelation during the judgment. And I think First Thessalonians would also be a, a passage, Alex, that would be helpful to you. Yeah, absolutely. First Thessalonians chapter four. I yep. mean, has th- this is one of the classic passages about the rapture of the church, and you know, very famously, and it says, uh, "The voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord." Now, let me give you. Uh, another passage about the return of Christ, because uh, Matthew twenty four thirty and 31 says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call that will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That sounds a lot like First Thessalonians for uh, what what's interesting is there are people that believe we'll be caught up together in the clouds, and then there are people that don't believe we'll be caught up in the clouds. And I, I really don't see how you can get around First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen because I mean th- this is clearly Christ coming for His own, catching us up in the clouds. Um, and there, I've got friends, and they'll say, "Well, Christ is coming back, and it, and instantly the earth will be brought under the subjection of the Lord." But Bert, when you read that Revelation four through twenty, it's it's worldwide persecution, yeah. chaos, the reign of the Antichrist. The, you're right; the church is not mentioned. 
And it definitely seems to be something in the future, not the past. And so I'm not going to, I'll put it this way and we'll move on. I'm not going to uh, break fellowship with non-pre-tribulational rapture people. We're, We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But Bert, I just think all these scriptures and even many more make a pretty compelling case for what we would call rapture, tribulation, Armageddon, return, millennium, new heavens and new earth. That's the sequential order that 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 I get. I do as well. And let me just say, those that want to take Revelation talking about the, you know, the Roman persecution that took place, and then listen, persecution has been around and will be. It's around right now. It is horrible in Nigeria. It is getting more difficult in India. It is horrible in North Korea. But as Alex said, it seems like when you read Revelation, it's not just in a region. It is worldwide. And that's 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 a big issue, Alex. But there are people under tribulation right now. We don't need to deny that either. So we pray for them and we ask God, God, give them what they need to stand. And if we come under that difficulty and those hardship before he comes back to rapture the church we'll, we'll we want people praying for us that we will stand so sharon thank you hope that helps let's let's go to virginia and talk to lorraine lorraine you're a first time caller yes sir well yes, i'm sir, glad you got through yes yes thank you for calling well, I just praise God for your ministry. I think the study of the Bible and understanding it is so important so we know Him better and, and love Him more. So uh, my question um, is relating to, I think they said something you discussed, but I, I didn't hear it. I didn't listen that day. But it's regarding the Nephilim, I think that's how you might pronounce it, from Genesis 6. Yes. My question is this. <clears throat> when I read the plain text, it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and then they were fair and they took them. I see nothing about demonic interreaction, interaction between them. And um, forgive me for saying this, but many great preachers that I love, I, I, I don't understand where they're getting it. Isn't it injecting something into the text that is not there? Thank you, Lorraine. They'd skip down to verse 4 and talks about giants being on the earth in those days. And I understand that. And some people said it's a difficult passage to translate out of the Hebrew and understand. But I let me tell you what I do. And Alex, I, you disagree if you desire. When I read chapter 5 and I see this list of people who are the sons of God, many of them, went the way of God, some went the way of the earth, and the daughters of men. And then when I think about Samson, how his eyes betrayed him when he would leave the godly women of the Hebrews and look and lust upon those of the uh, Gentile world at that time who were dressing provocatively and being all things, his eyes wandered. I I come down on the side that these are are. Real people, not not a hybrid, you know, Amen. demonic. That's my take on it. Um, ma'am, you, you phrased it perfectly. You really did, that you said people inject meaning onto the text. And I'm going to throw a couple of words. We've already been fairly academic this hour, so let's keep going. Exegesis. Everybody's heard that. Somebody is exegeting the text, and the Greek prefix ex means out of, to bring out of. There's another Greek prefix Ice, E-I-S, not frozen water, that would be I-C-E. But to be eisegetical, and we don't want to be this, but eisegesis is to impose something on the text that really isn't there. And I, I know a lot of people, if you read the King James Bible, and I love the King James, but Genesis 6, you know, 3, 3 4, 5, and 6, it says um, that the sons of God, well, really 1 through 6, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were very fair, and there were giants in the land these days. And you think sons of God, because there are scriptures where the angels and demons are called sons of God. But if you read in the Hebrew, and this is why 
I think the Nephilim, the giants of Genesis 6-4, are carnal men from the line of Seth. That's what they are. Because it says in, in the Hebrew, in Genesis 6-1, men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to these men. And then, in verse 2, in the Hebrew it says, the men saw the daughters of men. So men that were the sons of the other men saw the daughters. So, Bert, I'm with you. I, I know there were giants in the land, and we know giants are possible. I mean, there have been people, you know, eight, nearly nine feet tall people. Um, so giants in terms of physical stature. But I really, I just don't see in the text that they were hybrid spiritual demon people. I agree, and there's, and again, just like we was talking about the pre-trib and all of that, do not uh, split over that. Don't split over this either. I think yes. they are looking to it, to, but I, I disagree as well. Well, Alex, we got three more people. We're going to try to get them all in. We'll get them. Let's do it. Let's go to Kent in Virginia. Kent, welcome. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I work in a diverse environment with with a lot of Muslims, and I'm curious about uh, the best way to share the good news with them. Amen. Thank you, Kent. Praise God for desiring to do so. I have a, I do a program on the weekend called Exploring Missions. My co-host is my son, Nathan, and Nathan spent five years in a deeply saturated Muslim community, diverse community, over close to Atlanta, Georgia, and and he really helped me to understand a lot of the Muslims. Now, some of them, many of the Muslims are Muslims in names only. Now, let me put it parallel a lot from Northeast Mississippi. They're Baptist in name only because we, we, we are a big group down here in Northeast Mississippi. Take the Baptist out of Mississippi. You, 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 it would be a very big decline. And so know these Muslim that they are not grounded in the Muslims. So you make much of Jesus, and you try, and every, everything is centered on Jesus Christ. It really is. And and God will prepare those pe- people. I want to just tell you, and Alex, go ahead and share what you would share. Uh, God bless you. Um, you know, we, we've been very blessed to know a lot of former Muslims. I think of Kamal Salim, and I think of Abdu Murray, and of course, um, you know, the, the late, great Nabil Qureshi, who was a medical doctor and got saved. And, oh my goodness, uh, God is doing a great work among Muslims. But l- let me just give two tips. Stay in the Gospels. And I think it's very, very important to try to individually minister. Make friends and ask if you can read the Gospels together. Um, but here's here's the other thing, though. Um, the big ones are going to be the authority of the New Testament, the identity of Jesus, and then the Trinity. That's I mean, that's going to be huge. And keep it personal. I led a Muslim man to Christ, baptized him not too many years ago, and he would say, well, Islam teaches, Islam teaches. I would say, but what do you say? What what do you say? There's a lot more we could say about this, but it, when you keep it one-on-one, focus on the Gospels and Jesus, the Spirit of God will begin to work. Uh, don't you agree, Bert? Relationship is vital. I, I just tell you that, the trust factor in them seeing Christ in you, it still works. It still works. Let's go to Ohio and talk to Katie. Welcome, Katie. Hello there. It's a wonderful pleasure to be talking with you. You guide me home so many days from work, and I'm so grateful to learn as I drive. Well, thank My you, question Katie. Today thank, you. Is about, <laughs> thank you. My question today is about the difference between disciples, apostles, and who wrote the epistles. Okay, great question. Man, we're, we're, we, we need to mark this day down and just replay this sometime, guys. Seriously, good, such good, great questions. We went over this a little bit. A disciple means a follower or learner of Christ. This incorporates the large group, the very large group, 500 uh, men and women, and could have even been some children. I believe, I believe with all my heart that boy that uh, gave his loaves and fishes, 
uh, would become a follower of Christ, therefore a disciple. I believe Jairus' daughter, who was raised from the dead, when she heard what Jesus said, now this is just me thinking. So that is disciple, a follower of Christ, a learner. But an apostle was those that were sent out. That's what it means, sent out from God. And if we have modern-day apostles, more than anything else, Alex, it's not somebody with special power. It is missionaries going to those areas because 11 out of the 12, they went all around the world carrying the gospel, didn't they? Well, they they really did. And, you know, we had already, we had always heard that, you know, the apostles were ones who had seen the risen Jesus. I mean, Paul defended his apostleship. He would say, have I not seen the Lord? And of course he had. So every, every Christian is a disciple, but not every disciple was an apostle. Would you agree with that? I Bert? agree with it fully. And the, what happened, you can put those that wrote the epistles, uh, they were they were connected with or were apostles. They really were. Paul wrote most of them. Then John, look how many John wrote, Jude and James, the brothers of Jesus. Yes. And so you would put those in those categories and the apostles and even the, the gospels that way. And, and I'll say this quickly because I know we have one more call. There are what are called the Pauline epistles and then the general epistles. Now, the Pauline epistles are the ones that were written by Paul, like Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. The others, you've got um, Hebrews that we really don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but I, I wonder if it was Luke and Apollos. Uh, but James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, um, we got the, Paul's epistles, and, and an, an epistle is a letter, yeah. you know. So these were letters to real Christians and real churches, weren't they? They were. Let's get Tony in real quickly. Tony, don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to get to your question. Go right ahead. Okay, quickly. Um, I, I When I was in Jerusalem last year, I saw in a church, it says Ecclesia. And when I asked about what's an Ecclesia, I was told that originally— Ecclesia was in the Bible, and then it was taken out years later and replaced with church. Is that true or not? Okay, let me say, ecclesia is the word that you look at, ecclesia. It means assembly. It is used for a group of followers of Christ, but it's also used, Alex, for an assembly like a, in a town where they assemble themselves. And it was an assembly, and church came, it, it changed over to church. Church is not a horrible, it's not a bad translation. Go ahead. Right, and really, the the ancient you know uh, English Gaelic word was kirk, k i r k e. That was it. But um, in the English, it's the word church. In the original Greek, it's the word ekklesia, and it means the called out ones. There's a lot of places where it, it appears uh, in the New Testament, uh, and uh, maybe I'm, I'm looking here, maybe maybe four or five dozen times, like Acts nineteen thirteen. The assembly of the people. Yeah. Well, that's the ecclesia, isn't it, Bert? It really is. And so the assembly, it, let's assemb- speaking of assembling, let's do that Sunday, Alex. Isn't that a good well, idea? Let's do. Because Hebrews 10.25 <laughs> says that we are to assemble ourselves together. So, folks, be in church on Sunday. Maybe invite somebody to church. Bring somebody under the sound of the gospel. Tell somebody about exploring the word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.